thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles out and open them to 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10, where it says in verse 1, Now when the queen of Sheba, and you might want to mark this when you get there, when the queen of Sheba heard... When the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Now, if there's one thing that happens to all of us is that people hear things about us. People hear things about us, which reminds us of the importance of our reputations. Reputations are important. Your reputation, my reputation are crucial. While it's true that reputation is what people think of you, it's also true that character is who you really are. Because can people can hear false things about you. There are attempts to ruin reputations. Some successful, many unsuccessful. And it's important that we live our lives where our reputation matches our character. It's important that we live lives where our character in the Lord matches our reputation because you will undoubtedly come under attack. The Bible says and describes the devil as the accuser of the brethren. How does he do that? Through other people. The accuser of the brethren, where the devil is even in the presence of God accusing us day and night. Jesus is so wonderful to know that he's our defender. People, both good and bad, will lie. They'll lie about you to any and all who will listen, to some more and some less. According to Proverbs 22, verse 1, it says, Choose a good reputation over great riches. That's the New Living Translation. Choose a great reputation over great riches. In the New King James, it says a good name is to be chosen. A good name is to be chosen, and a good reputation is to be chosen over great riches. And even as our reputations may be attempted to be trashed by some, we must learn to deliberately, determinedly, and dedicatedly live our lives above reproach. Where the lies and accusation and even gossip are proven untrue by your life and by the way we consistently live in Jesus by his grace. And we have a good name because we carry the Lord's name. As Christians, which literally means Christ followers, We carry his name, and thus his reputation has been given to us with the important responsibility for us and a tremendous privilege to live our lives to him, for him, and in him. So here's Solomon. The Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. Now I know what she heard. We'll see in a moment all of the things that she heard but primarily the reputation of King Solomon as a servant of God, his name went out abroad for his great wealth and for his great wisdom. And both of them were attributed to the name of the Lord. Notice verse two, she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue or a large amount of people, camels who bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. 
There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen, mark that, seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, and their apparel, his cupbearers, his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. I want you to connect verse four with verse one real quick where it says in verse one, she heard and then verse four, she saw. She heard about the fame. When she came to test, it was evident not only to her ears but also to her eyes. The area of Sheba is modern day Yemen or even Ethiopia was about 1,200 miles away. The trip would have taken two to three months on a camel, on, on horseback. It, this was a long way. This was no short trip to test. I heard something about the God of Solomon. I heard something about Solomon. I heard something about Yahweh, and I need to see it with my own eyes. She didn't send someone to go see her. She wanted to see it for herself. 1,200 miles, two to three months of traveling with a large company of people. She arrives in Jerusalem with her entourage and her expensive gifts, and she starts to talk to Solomon and come to him with her hard questions. Not riddles, not quizzes, but diplomatic, ethical questions. Don't forget that Solomon not only was a representative of God to the people, but he was also a political figure. He was the leader of a country, of a nation. And the relationships that he had, which some of them got him in trouble because he, he adopted the ways of the world in diplomacy by marrying women and creating treaties that God told him not to do. He also demonstrated his wisdom as a man of God. And I want you to notice what she saw. She heard and then she saw. Verse four, just go through and notice. She saw his wisdom in general. Secondly, she saw how his palace was built, which we just finished reading. Thirdly, she saw in verse five, the food on his table, the way it was organized. Fifthly, she saw how he organized his officials. Next, she saw how his officials were clothed. Next, she saw her, his cupbearers and their robes. Verse five, these are all in verse five. Then she saw the burnt offerings and it left, it says at the end of verse five, it left her breathless. It wiped her out what she saw. This is a section of scripture that I often use when I'm discipling and training those that serve here in the church, especially those that serve uh, in a place of leadership and oversight. If you can grasp this, then you'll understand so many things about how to use your liberties and, and how to use your freedoms in order to bring glory and honor to the Lord. How to demonstrate to others. I use this section of scripture to encourage our ministry team about a lot of things, but the first one is how to pay attention to details. It's important to pay attention to details because what we're doing is in the name of the Lord. I mean, if, if a restaurant will pay attention to details, and a hotel will pay attention to details, and a store will pay attention to details, and a car dealership will pay attention to details, how much more the people of God where people might hear of the reputation of God or they might hear about this particular church. 
They, they might hear something about how this church was used in their life, or they might hear something on the radio of a Bible study that's there, or they might see something on television and go, you know what, honey, we need to go back to church. We need to get our family in our church. We need to go check that out. Well, it's important for us to realize that, that when somebody hears something, when they show up, they should see it too. And how do they see it? In our lives. How we do things. Pay attention to details. You think, well, what's the big deal, Ed, if the chairs are all crooked or if there's trash in the parking lot or if the flowers are all trampled under or if the windows are all dirty or what's the difference? We're just here to preach the gospel. You're right. We're here to preach the gospel. But why make it harder for someone to trust us? Why make it harder for someone to trust us? You know, what if somebody shows up and says, you know, what a mess. This, this church doesn't take care of their parking lot. I don't think I'm going to trust them to take care of my life. And, and it, it's much harder, is it not, to take care of somebody's life than it is to pick up a piece of trash in the parking lot. I think that's an easy thing. Pick up the piece of, well, you walk by a piece of trash, I can't believe it. Why isn't anybody picking up the trash? And you hear God saying, yeah. Yeah. Why aren't you picking up the trash? Well, you know, they pay people here to pick up the trash. Yeah. Actually, no, we pay you to pay, pick up the trash, you know. Why don't you put a piece of gum? If you don't even want to bend over, put a piece of gum on your shoe and pick it up with your shoe. But think about it, think about it. Let's all get a little laugh because it's not going to get much easier this time. So let's all get a little laugh. We've got to pay attention to the details because people hear and then they show up. And in order to deliver the gospel, we want to get away, we want to take away every single barrier that we possibly can think of in order to invite a person to hear and show some kind of credibility to the message that's being shared. So it is important to straighten chairs, and it is important to clean the carpet, and it is important to make sure things are in order, and it is important to take out the trash, and it is important to, to do the things that are easier so that when you're faithful in the little things, God will then enable you to take care of a life, to take care of a soul. To learn, I tell, if you're jotting this down, I tell the guys the best skill, and gals, I tell it the best skill you can develop that will make you, besides the spiritual stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm already, it's a given, it's a given that you're a spiritual man or woman, that you love God, you're a man of the word, you're a prayer, I, that's a given. So I'm talking practical things here, because that's what the Queen of Sheba is teaching us, the practical things. The number one skill, you want to be effective, do you want to take your ministry ability to the next level? You want to grow in your usefulness to God. If, if you want to just really be used of God, develop this one skill, observation. Open your eyes. So one of the things I do, and we won't do it now, but one of, and you can do it for yourself. I'll give it to you. You can do it yourself. But one of the things we'll walk around during the day or just out of the blue, and I'll just walk around, and we'll walk through the building, and we'll say, what do you see? Just what do you see? And there's all kinds of observations. I see blue chairs. Like, it's a trick question. It's not a trick question. Uh, it's uh, blue chairs. Okay, great. You see chairs, and you see, and, and then I'll start noticing, well, there's a light flickering. Oh, I didn't see that. And, and there's a big chocolate stain on the, car, on, the, on the carpet that doesn't look so much like chocolate. We probably want to take care of that. There's dust all over the place. There's, you know, and, and one of the things I'll do during service, after a service, is, is I'm training someone. I'll have them up here with me, and, and I'll just say, while I'm talking to somebody, I'll say, just look around the room. What do you see? You know, after a service, people, some people go, some people stay. Some people stay longer, some people talk, some people cry, some people are down praying, 
Some people, sometimes marriages, you know, you're, you don't wait for the car to argue, you're arguing right here. And that, I mean, I, that's, that's the life, that's life, you know. But do you see it? Because what you see is what you act on. If you walk through here and you don't see anything, then there's not going to be a lot of minutes. The Holy Spirit's not going to bring anything to your attention because you're not observant. You're not paying attention. And Solomon here has a reputation. It's connected to the name of God. And when the Queen of Sheba comes, she sees it. She trusts him. We, rep- we represent the Lord and his kingdom. We should be faithful with what we have in order to speak to the eyes, not just to the ears of those seeking God. That's been the pattern of our fellowship from the very beginning. When we were, ha- when we were renting a basement right down the street on Hampton, we wanted it to be the best looking basement that we possibly could be. Now, there were some things we didn't control, but then we needed to have that credibility in someone that if something happened and we couldn't control, that they would still trust us like like the time we had our welcome gathering for new people. And there were two families that showed up over here on, right down the street. Two families that showed up. And actually, it wasn't down the street. It was at the, uh, at the Episcopal Church over on Wagon Trail in Buckley, where they let us use that little shack. When you're driving down there, you'll look to the left or look to the right. It's right on the corner. There's a shack there. We used to use that for Thursday night Bible studies. They rented that to us. And so downstairs was a little kitchen down there with a lot of bags of rice uh, under the cupboards. And we had a little table down there and we had a gathering and we're telling people about Jesus. This is, man, God's using our church. I can't believe it. Two new families have come. This is awesome. We're so excited. And as we're, as we're having this exciting time and answering question, a little mouse came out <laughs> and said hello to us all and then ran back in. And we're like, oh man, two less families coming to the church. <laughs> You know, there's things that we don't control. And I think we had enough credibility with them. I know we did because they stuck around. Uh, enough credibility with them that they recognize, you know, there's some things out of our control. But when the things that are under our control, we just neglect them. We're sending the message that we're going to neglect their family too. That we're not going to be observant in their family as well. That we're not going to pay attention to them. That we're not going to be open to the Holy Spirit to pick up on things that no one else is picking up on. That they might come hurt or burdened from another fellowship that has neglected them. And they come into another church and we already got all these things against us. We're already a big church. So already people think these things about big churches like, oh, I'll never know anybody. They'll never know me. And we always got all these negative things of, of labels and stuff. But what we, we need to help people get by that and say, no, no, we're just a group of broken people people that give us some time and you will find out that that you will be loved by the people here it's not about the size of your church you could be neglected in a church of 40 people as much as 4,000 it doesn't matter it's the heart of the matter it's people and this is a section I often go back to like Solomon wasn't doing everything he was doing to impress the queen of Sheba he wasn't doing all this and then sending out a, a tweet or sending out you know, a, a, a press packet. Hey, everybody, I just want you to know, I'm Solomon, the wisest man of God. Come test me. That's what he was doing. He was being faithful unto the Lord. The reputation got out. The people came. Queen of Sheba came, and she was, you know, that phrase, there was no more spirit in her. You could say she was blown away by what she saw. It was more than what she heard. Jot this down. I won't have you turn there, but jot this down. In 1 Samuel, we we studied this not too long ago in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance 
or at the height of his stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, because man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Have you ever quoted that verse to somebody? Or to yourself, like somebody uh, lops some judgment on you and you go, man, you don't know my heart. God knows my heart. Anybody ever say that? So you can't judge me outwardly. Is there anyone here that has ever had that attitude? Yes or no? Okay, because it doesn't sound like there's anybody here or like it's just me. So if you don't know my heart, and, and we emphasize that part of the verse, and it's true. God knows your heart. You'll be misunderstood and misjudged. It's true. But don't allow that truth to, don't allow that truth to, to cause you to neglect the other part of this verse. The other part of this verse is man looks at the outward appearance. That is equally true. You realize that for some, most people, all they know about you is what they see. That's all they know. And I recognize that we can be misjudged and I recognize that we can be misunderstood, but that's all they know. They haven't developed a relationship with you. They haven't talked to you yet. And that's all they know. They only know what they see. While the emphasis is often given considering the mistake that Samuel makes that God knows the heart, that's true. But man looks at our outward appearance. And it's important for us to be reminded that people, whether you're here at this church or you attend another church, people only see the outside. That's all man can do is see the outside. Watching our lives, which would lead for us to, to really take heart to when the Bible speaks of being a good example being a good example. The Bible speaks a lot about our example. And sometimes when we emphasize this element of example, you know, people will turn around and go, oh, you're just being legalistic, man. You're just being legalistic. You know, that's a, often a cop-out for the reality of being called on a behavior that doesn't really reflect the love of God. So you're just being legalistic. Well, I'm not, man, I'm not God, so you just take that to the Lord. But I'm telling you what I see, brother. I'm telling you what I see. If I'm wrong, then the Lord will correct me. But if I'm right, and I'm kind of thinking I'm right by you being so mad at me, um, you might want to take it to the Lord. So you can use your liberties and your freedoms to bring glory and honor to the Lord. Our outward matters, and it will either lead someone closer to Jesus or farther away because of our witness and our words. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 9, it says, Not because we don't have authority, Paul's telling them, but to make ourselves an example on how you should follow us. Make ourselves an example. Uh, Paul was saying, we want to be an example you can follow. We want, for those asking, what what does it mean to be a, a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be a pastor? What does it mean to be a Sunday school teacher? What does it mean to to live your life in a hostile world? Paul says, we're going to make ourselves an example. Follow us. In another place, Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So like no human's a perfect example. None of us are. I would never ask you, follow me. You'll be the perfect Christian. You won't. You'll be a, 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 a person following a man, but the Lord says don't do that. However, I can say this. I want God to make me an example so that you and I can learn how to follow Jesus and that there isn't anything in my life that I know of that God hasn't revealed yet that you can say, yeah, follow me as an example. And if I make a mistake, don't follow that. <laughs> learn from my example, right? 
You can learn. It doesn't, you don't always have to learn from your own mistakes. You can learn from someone else's mistakes. And so you go, Ed, you know, you did that. I know, don't do it. Don't do it. That was bad. I'm so sorry. And that example, I was a bad example. Please forgive me. But Paul's saying, make, my, make us, we want to make ourselves an example so you can follow us. Or in 1 Peter, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Jesus, of course, is the perfect example that we should follow in his steps. I think of Paul writing to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, he said, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider a robbery to be equal with God, but emptying himself, took on the form of a man, became a servant. Example. Titus chapter 2, verse 6. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things. This is Paul writing to Titus. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. This is a key passage of someone hearing and then seeing. Hearing and then seeing the example. Notice verse 6 back in 1 Kings. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I didn't believe the words until I came and saw it with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. Happy are your servants. Excuse me, happy are your men. Happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord, verse 9, your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices, and great abundance, and precious stones. There never again came such an abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Verse 11, and the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almug wood, precious stones from Ophir, and the king made steps of the almug wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for the singers. There never again came such almug wood, nor has there been like any seen to this day. And King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. So there's an exchanging of gifts now, very prosperous king and queen exchanging gifts. They are enjoying both a personal friendship that's being developed and a political alliance. And she's just blown away by her visit. Not only did she lose heart over it, but what, what she had heard wasn't even half of what she saw. She was just so blown away by the presence of God. She, she does attribute this to Solomon, but, but she, then she says in verse 9, Blessed be the Lord your God. And she recognized that it was from God and to God and in God that this is coming from Solomon. And she noted that God made Solomon a blessing to all them around them in verse 8, as God promised he would do. She also blesses Yahweh in verse 9. And her gifts included one and a half tons of gold. That's a lot of gold, one and a half tons. What's an ounce these days, a thousand bucks? I mean, that's a lot of gold. A, a lot of expensive gifts. Now, a side note here in relationship to this, a side note is there are a couple of, of legends that are associated with the Queen of Sheba and 
the lineage of Solomon. One of them is a Jewish romantic legend that says she requested and received from Solomon a a son and, and he gave her, he fathered a son by her. That's untrue. There's another legend that the Ethiopian Asbicinian line was founded by the offspring of Solomon and the queen, which is also untrue, can't be substantiated. But there's all kinds of stuff out there regarding the queen of Sheba and Solomon. And what we know of is recorded for us in scripture. Now notice verse 14 as we wind down. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold, or about a billion dollars in today's money. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia and from the governors of the country. And King Solomon, verse 16, made 200 large shields of hammered gold, 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold, three minas of gold went into each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory, overlaid it in pure gold. The throne had six steps, on the top of the throne was round at the back, there were armrests on either side of the place of the seat. Two lions stood behind, beside the armrest. Twelve lions stood there, verse 20, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had ever been made for any other kingdom. Very opulent, very beautiful, very bright. Notice verse 21, all the King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. Not one of them was silver. This was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. But isn't it interesting, when you read in uh, Revelation, w- what we value today, gold, is going to be like asphalt in heaven. Just like so- silver is nothing to, in Solomon's day, gold is so valuable. Well, what's so valuable to us today is going to be nothing in the presence of the Lord. It's going to be gone. It's going to be like the, st- the streets are going to be made of gold. But here in the reality, notice it says in verse 22, for the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver and gold Garments, armor, spices, horses, mules, all at a set rate year by year. Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. Uh Uh-oh, watch out for that, verse 26. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowlands. And Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Keva. The king's merchant brought them in Keva at the current price. And a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. 25 tons of gold is a massive amount of gold. Uh, It's hard to even consider what this is. A fulfillment of God's promise, what he said back in chapter 3, that Solomon would be wealthy. And there's a difference, isn't there, between having wealth and using it for the glory of God and having wealth and trusting in uncertain riches. There's a difference. I want to show you something. Would you turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6? Let's go to our New Testament application when it comes to money. And when it comes to wealth, 
Because here it's obvious that not, God not only promised wealth, but he also gave it. He fulfilled his promise. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 6 of what Paul's now saying to Timothy and how to minister to those in his community, uh, in those in his church fellowship that have money, that are wealthy. Now, I don't think we're, you know, we're, you know, I don't, I haven't met anybody yet that has ships coming and delivering apes, monkeys, and donkeys to them. I mean, that, that's pretty wealthy. That's pretty extravagant. But I have met quite a few people that have been blessed materially over the years that have a lot of money and a lot of riches and a lot of resources. And really, if you, if you look at your own life and some of you are kind of shaking your head about the station in life you're in right now and, and kind of the hard place you're in right now and, and you don't see a lot of money you know, in your hands or you do see it in your hands and it just goes to pay your bills. According, according to the statistics, even in, in our worst condition here in the United States, we do better than 95% of the rest of the world in wealth, personal wealth in our own lives where there are massive amounts of people believers and unbelievers alike that make a few dollars a day laboring day and night in the culture and society that they're in so no matter how we measure wealth whether it's from solomon and just you have more than you ever will need or you're struggling right now or you're in between and you make a healthy living or you have a healthy retirement here's what paul tells timothy in verse six, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, cha- verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6, you might want to mark it down. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time. He says this. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So in all the, the instruction that, that Paul's given to Timothy, and all the instruction that he's telling him how to be a pastor, how to serve the church in Ephesus, how to be a young man, strong in the faith, overseeing the ministry. He gives this little paragraph and he says, there's going to be rich people in your ministry. There's going to be people in your church that have a lot and you need to command them these things. You need to stand strong to them. Don't be influenced by them, but command them. And, And if you would summarize these three verses, it's simply this. Those that have resources, use them for the glory of God and don't trust in them. Don't put your trust in money but in God, who's faithful. And it's been said that if wealth makes a person proud, then he understands neither himself nor his wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. This is a far cry, is it not? Is it a far cry from the slavery in Egypt to Solomon's wealth? Where did that come from? God. God made it happen. And you might think, wait a minute, no, 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 I I work hard for my money. God gave you the strength to work hard. I went to school for like 50 years and I finally graduated, paid off all my loans and that's where I, you know, I worked hard in school. I bet you did and God gave you the mind, God gave you the resources, God gave you the entrance exam tests. He, he, He did it all. 
No, no, I I don't think God did it all. I did it all. (laughs) Don't become haughty. Everything has come from the Lord. Wealth and riches and resources all come from God. It all belongs to him. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all mine, God says. When we come to this conclusion, we are so set free from the bondage of money. We're so set free from the worry of money. We're so set free from the concerns that come with our stuff when we realize it's all his. And I'm to do with it what he directs me to do with it. And here's the key. Whether you have a lot or a little, whether you have an extra money at the end of the month or you barely make it, after you tithe, after you pay the rent, after you pay the bills, the Bible says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord and he delights in every detail of their lives. So what does Paul tell Timothy? Notice verse 18. He tells him to do three things. Share it. What do I do with my money? I share it, I spread it, and I send it off. That's really what he's saying. Timothy, you need to command those that are rich. And if we use the statistics, if we use a word I can't pronounce, if we use the statistics that are available to us, that means we all would be wealthy compared to the world. Command the wealthy. Yeah, but you don't understand. If I command the wealthy and they don't like it, I might, and pastors go through this all the time. If I command the wealthy and they don't like it, they'll leave the church. Well, at least they'll leave your church with the truth. And you're the only one they'll ever hear it from. If you guys, I know a lot of you are new to our church, and, and if you don't already know, we take a real low-key approach to, to giving. And... We take a low-key approach and emphasize it where it's emphasized in the scriptures because we believe that where God guides, he provides. So we're not going to beg you. We're not going to plead with you. If you're rich today, I don't know it. Uh, If you're not rich, I don't know it. We're not going to cater to the rich and ignore the poor. Uh, We're we're not going to, you know, we're not going to do big pledge drives and everything and then promise to put your name on a plaque somewhere so everybody knows what you gave and take your reward away. And so you can, you know, we, 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 if we do something, it'll be unto the Lord. You know, if there's ever needs in our church, what there are, you know, we're still saving for the price of property in Aurora. And if we're ever going to build something else to make some room, it's going to take a lot more than it did to build this place. So if the Lord does it, great. Um, but we're not going to name it, you know, the Ed Taylor building of the, you know, Aurora or... Or, or you, you know, if you, well, I'll give you a big check, Ed, if you put my name on the building. I don't, I'm going to command you as rich uh, not to trust in your uncertain riches because <laughs> the building's going to go away. I mean, you can think about it. If we put the name up on this building, when we sell it, they're probably going to change it. I'm sure they'll take it down. <laughs> it's like, then what do you do? Um, you got to trust in your uncertain riches. And, and when we ask for something, when there's a need in our church, we'll let you know. And then it's your choice whether you want to pray about it. I mean, you should pray about it. And if the Lord lays it on your heart to get involved, then get involved. Participate. If if you think, no, I don't think God wants us to be a part of it. Great. Don't be a part of it. It's between you and the Lord. And and we don't have, you know, we don't take an offering here. I've mentioned that before where we're we're not coming down the aisles and and passing a plate or anything. I don't have anything opposed to that. It's just in the beginning of our church. 
uh, I came out to plant a church and, and I didn't really know how to handle all this stuff. And the church was already established with like 30 people and they had an offering box. And I said, what do you do? And they said, well, we just tell people there's the offering box and, and uh, they should give when they come to church. And so that's what we did. Now we have many more offering boxes now uh, around the building, but that's what we do. Because when you came to the temple to worship God, you came with the expectation and the readiness to give. You came, they had boxes on the side of the building that were shaped like trumpets, and you gave. That's why, you guys that are familiar, when Jesus was watching how people gave, and the widow gave her might, and the, the publican sounded off, and, and he gave, and the widow gave everything Jesus said, and the, the other guy gave out of his riches, and she gave out of everything that she had. How, how was that possible? Because they were all giving when they came to the temple. And, and we don't know, and it's a policy of mine, uh, to not know who gives, when they give, how much they give, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't have access to that computer. I don't have the password, nothing. I don't want to know because I don't want in any way my flesh to be provoked to give extra attention to somebody that might be super wealthy because God made you wealthy uh, and you get the same attention as someone that may not be so wealthy or might be struggling who God loves just as much and that's their lot in life. So we don't show favoritism or partiality because of money, because that's what our society does. The more money you have, the more privilege you have, but that's not to be the way of Jesus. Jesus doesn't measure value and worth by money. He judges value and worth by the blood of Jesus Christ, his own blood that was shed for you. And we just have to be careful because it's hard to be in the presence of, of wealth and, and prosperity. But God is the giver of all that. And praise God if he's entrusted you with a lot. You know what that means? He trusts you. He trusts you and me with what he's given to us, little or lot. And we're to be ready to give. Do good, he says in verse 18. Do good. Use what you have to bless others. Use your resources for the work of the Lord. Be ready to give as the Lord lays on your heart. Be willing to share. Be, be in a place in verse 19 to store up for yourselves a good foundation for the time to come that you might hold on to eternal life. And I've met many wonderful men and women uh, that God has entrusted with great wealth. And, and almost all of them have been given the gift of giving along with that. The gift of giving, like they're just, they, they inspire me in how God uses them in business God uses them in their position um, and in our society in some positions they make a lot of money and they're just givers. And, and they all say the same thing, the same phrase over and over again. Well, you and I might be struggling giving this or supporting this missionary or doing the math, you know, just getting our calculator out and doing the math and I don't know if I can and it's sacrificial and what's going to happen. And while we're wrestling, those with the gift of giving, they'll say this, they say it. I, I hear it from every person I've ever met with the gift of giving, whether they're wealthy or, or not. And that's simply this. You can't outgive God. And they'll give you examples of it. You can't outgive God. And I found that to be true in my own life. You can't outgive God in any way whatsoever. God is always funneling his resources, always giving us the time that we need to those that trust. I've met many wonderful men and women that are extremely wealthy and successful, and I've also met many, many people that we wouldn't be considered. We wouldn't call them rich. We wouldn't call them wealthy. 
They're not making ivory chairs with, with lions, you know, and, and uh, they, just, they just got one of those, those lawn chairs. I remember when Marie and I got married and we moved into our first apartment, I had a milk crate I stole from the market. And I don't, I don't think they may, I don't know if they make those anymore. We turned that upside down, put the TV on that somebody gave us, and we had two lawn chairs. That was what we had in our front room, man, and a bed that was donated to us. And that's what, oh no, somebody gave us a brand new bed. It wasn't donated. Somebody gave us a brand new bed, and that's pretty, and, and then we moved in with our, that's all we had. That was our furniture. And, and that's what the, like God was just so, we, you just, we, we had more than we had when we moved in. But you wouldn't consider us rich. We definitely didn't consider us rich. That was, uh, that was, an, interesting, that was an interesting time, but man, it was so, it was so good, man. <laughs> I remember the time I, I used to sit back on the chairs, you know. I still do it. It's a bad habit. But I'll lean back on the, li- the, final, the, the last two things, you know. Um, I'll lean back like this and I'll just kind of sit back and try to balance myself. And I remember I was doing that with that plastic lawn chair and it snapped and caught my finger in the thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, honey, we need new furniture. And I got my thumb cut off, you know. It's like, you know, we, we may not be considered rich, but man, they give so generously unto the work of the Lord. Their time, the money, their offerings, You see, the tithes and offerings mentioned in the scriptures, they affect all of us equally across the board because the Lord measures our giving on our willingness of our heart to give and the willingness of our heart to sacrifice. That's why a widow can give a couple pennies and the Lord just says, look at that one. You look at that. Oh, but she just gave two pennies. No, no, no. You're seeing the wrong thing, right? Good observation. Make a good observation. That woman, she loves me. What do you mean? Two pennies. That's all she's got. What about that guy, man? He's writing a check and signing the air. And look how much money he's giving to the temple. We put a whole new roof on the temple because of that guy. Yeah, but you don't understand. That guy's got so much. He's waving it in the air. He's trying to get people's attention on his giving. Missing. Trying to take the glory of what what I'm doing in the temple. Trying to take the glory for it all. Solomon was to use his wealth to glorify God. He wasn't to multiply horses, chariots. God told him that. He wasn't to cause Israel to be the most wealthy, prosperous nation on the earth. He was to use it to honor God, just like we are. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So that each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of every good work. And I know you guys, I know, you know, just for us as a church, I know you guys listening on the radio right now and on the internet, uh, unless this is your home church, you may not be able to relate to this exactly, but I know that every week we've got a new missionary, and every week we've got a new opportunity, and every week, I mean, we've had this long season of just so many people. And, and it's not God's heart necessarily for you to give to all of them. And you might even get tired of hearing it. And I hope you don't. I hope you don't get hired, tired of hearing somebody's need or somebody, what they're doing in the community or what they're doing in the world. Um, I hope you pray. And I hope you pray for them. I hope you pray with them. Because you can give your prayers in support. 
And, and you can look at maybe your shopping habits and say, you know, um, when, I, when I get a can of corn for the house, I'll get a can of corn for the food bank. And you can start giving. And you can sit down with your budget and say, okay, honey, how, how are we going to use our budget for the Lord? Yeah, but babe, you don't understand. We're able, and you know, we need to pray then. Because God's put this on my heart. And, and you don't get tired of hearing like what God's doing in the community or, or how some outreach is happening or you know, some need that's coming here because like, these folks, they, they're living by faith and, and we get to be a part of that. And everyone that we bring up as a church we support, the larger part of our church and our missions uh, budget and what we give into missions and we sow into to different ministries around the world, but it's also an opportunity for Connect. Some of you watching Jose, your heart went out to Watts. You almost felt like you were already there. You heard the train, you heard the cars being turned on. You heard, you thought, first you thought it was a part of the song. I did. And then you realized, man, the brother's right there serving the Lord. And some of you, not everyone, you know, this isn't, like, don't, don't ever let anybody manipulate or guilt you into giving. That's not, don't worry about that. That's not my heart right now. So if you're like, well, man, you're trying to make me feel guilty. I'm not. It's just one person maybe felt like, what, man, I need to be there. Well, you need to nurture that. You need to go sign up on the list out there and maybe just put a dollar bill down there and say, give this to Jose. I just want to see it multiplied in these kids' life. I want one of those little princesses to, to put a crown on her head or whatever, whatever it might be. But if, you just, if we shut our hearts up to the work of the Holy Spirit, we shut our hearts up to only caring about now, trusting in uncertain riches, instead of trusting in the living God, then we're going to lose out on the, on the joy of what it is to participate in the ministry. And that's really what this is, an opportunity to partner in the ministry. You give of your tithes unto the Lord through your local church, and then your offerings op- give you the opportunity to participate in all sorts of things that catch your heart. And then you can't be looking at a brother and go, why don't you support this? Well, the Lord hasn't spoken to my heart about that. I'm like this. I support this over here. This is where my heart is. My, your heart is in Watts. My heart is in Belize. Or your heart's in Belize, but my heart's in Brazil. And, you know, your heart's in Brazil, but I, I think we should do something in five points. Yes, 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 yes. Yes to all of it. But we don't look down on a brother. We don't judge them. We go, oh, you don't have the same heart I do. But that's the body of Christ, isn't it? We shouldn't all be having the same heart except to love God and trust in him and let the Lord just minister to us. And so don't get tired of opportunity of the Lord just to, to, to use you and to partner with all these other ministries. It's beautiful, but please, I'm gonna fulfill what the Bible says and I'm just gonna command you that are rich in this present world to not be all haughty and prideful because of what God has allowed you to have. Don't trust in your uncertain riches but trust in the living God who gave everything to you richly to enjoy. What greater joy is there than to see God use what he's entrusted to us, be sown into people's lives and encourage them in the things of the Lord and to to be open-handed with what God has given to us. Because when we give into ministry, that we're doing exactly what it says. When we give into what's going on in the world today for the sake of the gospel, we are doing exactly what verse 19 says, storing up for ourselves a good foundation for the time to come. And it's great. I was just sharing the testimony. I'll end with this. I was sharing the testimony of my dad, my mom. They're both in heaven right now. And if there's anything I learned from them was to give. They were some of the most generous giving people 
I've ever met. I was reminded of it again when, when I went to the memorial service, uh, especially of my mom and how many people my mom ministered to and reached. They were very simple people, my parents. And we, we lived in a very difficult neighborhood. It's where we grew up. My parents weren't entrusted with much riches, but they were always giving. And, and I remember even times as a kid growing up where they were giving and I'm like, Dad, why are you doing that? He goes, you don't understand, son. You don't understand. And I'm like, I don't. I'd have, I know, I don't understand. Like, why are you giving? Why are you doing that? Don't you know they're doing, taking advantage of you? Don't you know? I'd have those kind of conversations. And then I was just thinking, because I shared this testimony today, that when my mom died, you know, my dad, mom and dad died, they left very little. Just a real little left. They didn't, they didn't leave a lot on the earth. They gave it all away before they left. And what little they had, they sowed into people's lives, they sowed into the church, they sowed into needs that came their way, and they were just generous, benevolent givers. But no way would you ever consider them rich. They weren't especially in their latter years. It was very difficult and hard for them. Like you, some of you, that's why we were just begging them to come live with us so we can make life easier for them. And they just wouldn't do it. I'm not living in your house. I'd love to boss you around, mom. So come on. Let me get some years back. But it's just such a great example. And I met so many people uh, here, especially here serving in Colorado, of just generosity and just a giving heart. Just so beautiful, so encouraging so encouraging to me personally. So much has been added to my life by the generosity of God's people. And it is true, isn't it? And if you haven't learned this yet, you need to. It is much more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's just such a beautiful thing to bless someone in Jesus' name. So God, as we look at the wealth of Solomon and and we think of how much you've entrusted to him, I mean, way overboard, you know, tons of gold. We don't have tons of gold. and so many of us are like my parents, Lord. We, we just have what you've given us and trying to be faithful, good stewards. We don't own anything. We're just stewards of you, what you've given to us. I just pray, God, that we would be faithful with what you've given to us, that we would not sow sparingly in our lives. And God, I, every time we talk about money, I pray that I wouldn't be misunderstood because of the way money has been treated in the church that I wouldn't be misunderstood or listened to in the, in the vein of, of, you know, faith teachers and begathon stuff or that, that kind of stuff, Lord. I, 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 I know that what your Bible teaches, your Bible teaches we should give, your Bible teaches we should tithe and, and, and all, give offerings into different ministries and people. And, um, but we're not, to, we're not to feel grudgingly, you know, we're not to feel pressure or guilt. And I thank you, Lord, as I think back to the heritage of our own congregation. When we were in the basement of that Baptist church down the street on Winston, you gave us what we needed then. Then we moved into the school and and had to pay all that crazy rent for the school. You gave us what we needed. And then when we opened that midweek Bible study and, and we had to rent from that church, you gave us what we needed. And then we needed to buy a lot of dirt. You gave us what we needed. And then we had to build one side of this building. You gave us what we needed, even when the steel prices went up a quarter million dollars in the building, right in the middle of the building project. You gave us what we needed. When we had to build the other side of this building to make room for the kids and offices, you gave us what we needed. When we needed to extend the parking lot over there, you gave us what we needed. When we had that opportunity for that, that radio station to come, and, and it was overwhelmingly more than we could ever think of ever having you gave us what we needed. When, when we have 
poured into missionaries from day one, whether it's the Gideons or it was the ministry in Turkey or it was somebody getting ready to go to Spain or you gave us what we needed. You gave us what we needed. When the bill comes in for the electricity, you gave us what you needed. I was just thinking today of your faithfulness, Lord. So faithful have you been in our lives, of all of us listening in. They all, everyone has a faith story here. So faithful you've been that we might even take you for granted and just expect you to direct deposit that check and just expect the bank to be there and just expect, instead of living by faith, God, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. You taught us in your prayer to pray for our daily bread. And so, Lord, would you just, I know there are people hurting right now. We talk about money and they're struggling, God. Would you please provide for all of their needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus? Would you please show up, God, to provide for their needs and the needs of their home and the needs of their family? That even if it's a lean time right now, you're teaching them faith, sitting on a lawn chair. <laughs> Don't even have a couch, just a lawn chair. <laughs> but Lord, you gave us that lawn chair. You gave it to us. You didn't give me that milk crate, but I took it back. I learned after I got saved, Lord. And I just thank you for the testimony. Thank you for the, for the faithfulness of, of my wife, Lord, just standing with us through the years and, and just going through the ups and downs together. We had some really, really difficult times. Just wondering where the next, where the next dollar is going to come from or how we're going to make this bill. Or You've just been so faithful, Lord. You've been so good to us. May you, may you just infuse your faithfulness in this congregation. May you just remind the struggling about your faithfulness. Would you just, Lord, reveal yourself? Will you just look to us and say, don't fear, child. Don't fear. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and a sound mind. And I pray, God, that we would not trust in uncertain riches. And I thank you for the generosity of the so many people that I've met here in this church. Love you, serve you. And it's not just money, like so many hours invested in lives. So many late night chats and, and phone calls and, and hard discussions. Just loving you, God. Pouring in their time into people's lives. Pouring their resources. Opening their homes. Sharing the meals. Beautiful, Lord. Glorious. May you be glorified on the earth today. May you be honored through the resources you've entrusted to us. May we not be wasteful with what you've given us. May we be the example you want us to be. Just like you said, people here, what are they going to see? May they see men and women that love you and are living for you with their heart, soul, and mind, loving their neighbors, themselves. So be glorified, God, as we submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.